Welcome to the Into Security Chats podcast, brought to you by Info Security Magazine, the leading industry magazine and website for information and cybersecurity. I'm your host, Beth Mondral, Info Security's editor, and during this podcast, I will be shining the spotlight on some of the industry's finest minds. everyone and welcome to this September edition of the Into Security Chats podcast. So this episode marks my maiden podcast for the Info Security magazine team and I'm delighted to have a fantastically unique and charismatic guest with me, Ian Murphy, also known as the Monty Python of Cyber. So need I say more? Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thanks Beth. Hello everyone. This podcast is kindly sponsored by Tufin. Tufin is known for its expertise in security policy automation. Tufin makes network security simpler, easier, and more resilient in minutes instead of days. So a bit of background for our listeners as to who Ian is. Ian is the founder of CyberOff with the mission of creating unforgettable content for people to engage with and learn from. So for our listeners, if you haven't checked out Ian's content, I highly recommend that you do. For a little pick-me-up at the very least, um, his titles, video titles, include Ian, Deanna Jones and the Temple of Stolen Data, The Scaminator and Hack to the Future. Um, So a lot of uh, fun to indulge yourselves in. Um, Before we get started into our chat, though, a question that's become a bit of a tradition for the Chats podcast and something I'm going to continue on with is what food and drink pairing would be your top recommendation for our listeners to enjoy whilst they tune into the podcast today, Ian? Uh, oh, that diff- anything that when you spit it out does not cause your computer to go into meltdown, I think. So I get I get levelled at it quite, quite a bit with the videos when people are watching the videos that they've They've, they've spat coffee over their PC or things like that. I'm a massive coffee drinker, so I'm always a big fan of coffee. Um, so so that would probably be my drink of choice, unless unless it's after the watershed, and then it'd be either be Guinness or lager, or maybe a whiskey. Anything with alcohol in it, I think, <laughs> is essentially what I'm saying. And and as for food, I'm a terrible snacker. I'm a terrible snacker with a terrible sweet tooth, and my wife keeps finding chocolate bar wrappers in the car and everything like that so it would probably be some form of snack or a chocky bicky chocolate biscuit for those who don't speak fluent scouse a chocky bicky and a coffee past five o'clock maybe a whiskey um <laughs> i think as it's my first podcast um with info security i ought to offer up um, my recommendations so i'm gonna have to go with an alcoholic beverage as well i do like my wine so a nice glass of red and something savory on the side so a little bowl of nuts some cheese and biscuits or a packet of crisps. So I'm not on the sweet tooth side, I'm more a snacker when it comes to savoury snacks. So hopefully our listeners are comfortable with their snacks and perhaps they've psychoanalyzed what our choices mean about our personalities um, and we've set the scene as to how our chat might go. But I wanted to kick off with something we mentioned in a call earlier this week 
about how you actually became involved in cyber. And one thing you said that kind of stuck out to me was there were plenty of twists and turns on your journey. So maybe we could just kick off with a bit about those twists and turns and where you've landed. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I've I've been in what we what we call cyber now for about thirty years since the early nineties. Uh, when I was leaving school in the late eighties, there was no such thing. There was there was no internet. Very few mobile phones. The mobile phones were not mobile. You had to carry them with a massive battery. That meant you needed arms like Arnold Schwarzenegger to to carry them around. So we were at the very kind of beginning of all of that stuff. I, I wanted to be a professional footballer. I grew up in Liverpool in the 80s, and that was my goal, was to be a professional footballer. Didn't quite make it, made it to semi-pro, played at Wembley, have a few really good memories from my career, um, but but didn't make enough in that kind of game to do it for a living. My trade as a mechanic, late 80s, high unemployment in the late 80s uh, in Liverpool, I managed to get an apprenticeship and train as a mechanic. At the end of four years, wasn't for me. Went to university, blagged my way onto a university course, and then the MOD came around trying to get students involved in the bursary scheme where it would be like another mini apprenticeship and and you'd get to work with the Ministry of Defence. I jumped on that and then had a whale of a time for 10 years doing lots of lots of interesting stuff, lots of you know, stuff that needs a security clearance and all that type of thing. And and that's where I fell into cyber. And then managed my way through a year of the dot-com bubble in London. I think it seems that I, I remained drunk for the full year, I think. Um, I, I think because I, I have very vague memories of it. And before finding myself working for Symantec for five years and then for the past 17, 18 years or so, working for myself, doing consultancy, everything from the compliance stuff you would expect, 27,001 and all that, to risk and all that type of assurance work through to security architecture stuff. And now making an absolute idiot of myself in front of the camera. So so that's a quick potted A, a quick rundown. I think um, two things that are quite interesting, though, is how a military background or involvement in the military can lead itself to a technology and cybersecurity focused career. And also then working for yourself. I think obviously a lot of people have their own consultancy businesses, set up their own businesses within the cybersecurity realm. So I think First, I'd like to just ask, like, what lent itself to moving down this path? I've always had an interest in technology. So in the very early 80s, uh, my first computer was ZX Spectrum, 16K of memory. And then I thought when when I upgraded to 48K memory, I thought, wow, this is the future. Uh, And then I moved to Commodore 64. But I've always been interested in that. I had older cousins who were like older brothers to me, who 10 years older, who were in the communications industry and the laser industry back in the 80s, doing concerts and things like that. And it always fascinated me. So I wanted to get into that. Um, After I told the careers person I wanted to be a footballer and they laughed in my face. So I always wanted to get into it from that point of view. And I think with the MOD, I I wasn't in the military. I was a kind of a scientist as as a civil servant, but worked with worked with the Navy quite a bit and then worked with the tri services quite a bit when when I went into a, a, a communications background. So I think I think that that transition is really easy for a lot of people. It's why you find a lot of ex-military insecurity, I reckon, is because that technology and what they do. And also that it's not just about the technology. For me, it's about the mindset. So when you're in the military, you have a different mindset. When you're as a civil servant working for the MOD, you have a different mindset. When I joined in the early 90s, you know, there was still lots of unrest with with the IRA and things like that. And there was still 
targeting British establishments on the mainland. So we we had a lot of those type of talks of what to look out for, how to how to take care of yourself, personal security, and all those bits and pieces. So it sets you on a path where you're always looking at the risks, where you're always looking at the angles, where you're always looking at what could potentially um, happen, which is kind of good if you want a security career. It's not so good if you want to talk to human beings, to be quite honest, because having that paranoia is very tiresome for other people. Yeah, yeah, I can I can imagine that. And then obviously going on to set up your own business, kind of work for yourself. When was that kind of in your career that you decided to do that, decided to kind of yeah. go it alone? It's terrifying, I think. Um, it was 2006. Uh, I'll be entirely grateful for for an old boss of mine in Symantec who who managed to um, get me some redundancy because uh, Symantec had merged with Veritas at that point and it became a different company overnight and it was a company I didn't like overnight. Previous to that was brilliant. I had the best time in the world. It was like a small family-run company and everybody looked out for each other. Overnight, it became more of a sales-focused company with with people people just saying stuff that, to be quite honest, um, if if I hadn't got redundancy, I'd have probably got sacked for telling somebody how much of a displeasurable person I thought they were for their approach to this. Um, if you may not have guessed, I'm slightly outspoken. So just for the listeners, if you may not guess, <laughs> you've seen any of my videos or any of my stand-up, I'm slightly outspoken, which I think is a trait of coming from Liverpool, unfortunately. So, yeah, a friend of mine who I worked with in the dot-com bubble, he'd gone contracting. I kept in touch with him. He was like a mentor to me. And I said, what's it like? He said, "Come." He said, I've got a, I've got a role here at Barclay Card. Come and do and um, find out for yourself. It's really easy, blah, 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 blah. So my boss at Symantec sorted out redundancy. That gave me the the kind of um, financial security to at least last for a couple of months without uh, without worrying about bills being paid. I haven't looked back since, I'll be quite honest. I thought I'd be the worst person in the world to do because I'm terribly unorganised. But I haven't looked back since. It's great and and now I think I am uh, highly unemployable as a as a permanent employee, I think. I haven't done it for so long. <laughs> yeah, possibly. I mean, and also I would say, I guess, while you didn't enjoy the fit at Symantec when they merged and were taken over, there might have been others that kind of were like, oh, this is what I was looking for, bigger, bigger and better things. Um, yeah. And I think we, I mean, we see it a lot today, mergers, acquisitions all going on. So there's probably a lot of people that are in those situations now thinking, oh, this wasn't what I signed up to originally, or this has changed quite dramatically, or sometimes these mergers happen and nothing really changes. So um, it's kind of definitely based on personal experience and expectations, but can be the move you need to say, right, I will go off and do my own thing. So it's certainly something that will push certain people in different directions. Let's take a quick break here to tell you a little bit about our podcast sponsor, Tufim. Organisations are rolling out digital transformation programmes at breakneck speed and Tufin helps security teams to do this more quickly and safely by providing a way to manage policies across hybrid networks. The Tufin orchestration suite is already helping more than 2,000 CISOs and CIOs manage some of the largest and most complex networks in the world. Businesses choose Tufin because they simplify the management of IT networks by creating a centralised network security management hub. Tufin reduces complexity and risk and helps businesses create the perfect platform for continuous collaboration. 
Toofing gives organisations the ability to implement the changes in minutes instead of days. And as well as this, the Toofin orchestration suite reduces the attack surface and gives greater visibility into secure and reliable application connectivity. Toofin's partnerships with industry leaders means that the Toofin orchestration suite also enables streamless integration. Great to hear about your journey, what you've been doing. Obviously, the football career didn't work out. Um, which is a shame, but hey, you wouldn't be doing the content and the work you're doing today, perhaps if you had gone um, fully professional. Um, so I, as I mentioned in my introduction, um, a lot of what you're doing now kind of brings comedy and cybersecurity together. So I think it would be really great if we could talk about how the two fit together because it's not a natural pairing. When you think cybersecurity, you don't automatically think humor, sketches, funny videos, those kind of things. And how you kind of came to decide that adding humor into what you're doing was the way forward. My upbringing, again, in in the seventies and eighties, it was a it was a dark time up north, high unemployment, lots of strikes, and all of those bits and pieces. Governments do manage decline of the North and all that type of stuff, right? So to get through it, to get through it, we 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 laughed, right? We you had to, you had to, otherwise there was, you know, the consequences were awful if you didn't. And and it's about finding fun in anything. It's about what is funny and what isn't. And and I think part of part of growing up was always about who could be the funniest. It's why I fear doing a stand-up in front of a Liverpoolian audience, right? Because I know I'm not the funniest person in the room. I know there's people sat out there watching that who just haven't had the chance to get up on stage who are probably more funnier than I am, right? As are all my mates, and they remind me constantly that they're funnier than me. But that's that's kind of where, where the background grew. And then just some of my heroes, like Billy Connolly and Morecambe and Wise and Tommy Cooper and Les Dawson and... All, all of Robin Williams, all of those greats would it just it filled a childhood for me. Comedy and music filled a childhood for me, where where it would be easy to go off the rails and do and and do something else, especially the area the, the area I, I grew up. It just felt natural. It felt natural to bring it into security because you know we've all sat through the hour long presentations where somebody's got nine million slides and wants to read every word off every slide. You know, I'm like. I'm not an idiot. I can read the slides myself. You know, I, I can see what's behind you. Or even worse, when they turn around and look at the slides and read because they just haven't prepared. What we fail to grasp in security is that people outside the security really don't care that much about security, right? And it's not their job to care. And it's not their job to be another extension of technology because the business says they should care you need to give them a reason to care and the reason of losing identity and stuff like that and having your bank account and all that type of stuff is the fear uncertainty and downturn scaremongering that turns people off we have inbuilt biases that protect us from that type of thinking right so so i i just kind of thought what's the obvious answer to that i'm not a scientist i'm not a behavioral scientist or anything like that um but i do know that if I step off a tall building, gravity will end my life pretty quickly at about 9.8 meters per second per, per second as I accelerate towards oblivion, right? Again, I don't need to be a behavioral scientist to know that humor works. I just know it does. Um, it always has done, and it helps people retain the learning more and more. So so I decided to put the two together, and well, what's the worst that could happen, you know? I'm quite comfortable of making a fool of myself in front of 
people. You know, I did it as a footballer. I lost a million pound live on TV in front of nine million viewers. So, you know, there's... What show... (laughs) (laughs) What show was that on? And is it on YouTube? Yes, it is. And it was Dex, uh, Red or Black, back in about 2011. Oh, God. So for, for our... For anyone that's listening outside of the UK, um, there's probably quite a lot of things that might be they're questioning. But I will explain the Ant and Deck reference. So Ant and Deck are two. They're not related, are they? They're just two presenters on television that kind of own how to present TV shows. But they present everything like I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. There's like a Saturday night show they present. I think they present the X X Factor or one of those singing shows as well, a Simon Cowell thing. And they're kind of every now and then, every couple of years, they'll come up with a game show. So I don't know what Red and Black involved, but there'll be like iterations of different game shows. So that's who those guys are. It would have probably, with them involved, it would have probably been a well-watched episode. Yes, it was. It was. Nine nine million viewers, so... It's a, it gave me my 15 minutes of fame. Yeah. And character builder. Yeah, you could say that. You could say that. I mean, obviously, I didn't have it to lose. So I didn't have a million quid and I lost it. But the whole premise of the show was to get to be the last person standing. And then you had a simple choice, red or black on a big, massive roulette wheel. Um, I think I remember um, it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was the first person in the UK to lose that live on TV. I chose red being a Liverpool supporter and it didn't come up red. I didn't see that on your LinkedIn profile when I was doing research. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. so um, just to bring it back then. So you've obviously got no fear, I guess, in terms of like, OK, let me put out this content that I think is funny. I think it will land and will also be informative for people trying to enhance their cybersecurity knowledge. Like you may as well press go because there's nothing. You've lost a million in the past. <laughs> Like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, it's almost like releasing your kids into the wild, right? It's it's will people like and you know, we all need validation. And I think anybody who turns around says, I don't care what other people think, it's slightly being slightly disingenuous, right? We all care. We're built to care what other people think about us. I've become a bit more immune to it, right? I've become more immune to the people who just bark at the moon. On, and they're very few and far between, to be quite honest, on my posts. But even that, and, and even stand-up, I still get terribly nervous before I go on stage. Um, and it doesn't matter how many people comment or like on my post or co- come up to me after the gig and say, oh, that was brilliant, I really enjoyed that. The back of my mind, there's the working-class lad from Liverpool that's saying, yeah, they're just being kind to you, you need to work harder, you need to do more, you need to, you know, so... I think that's good, though. That kind of like gives you a little bit of motivation and um, drive to kind of continue to make things better. So obviously, you've kind of explained a little bit about why the humour and the cyber security goes together, like engaging people that might not necessarily want to be engaged. So from your experience, like what's worked? What's been um, well received? What do you think is like where you've seen, oh, right, actually, this message really got across, especially with, like, potentially clients you've worked with, people that you've been working with for a long time? Uh, Anything with me and women's clothing, generally. Generally, I think people people are just like, hang on, he's six for four, he's got a beard, and he's wearing a Spice Girls dress. What's that all about, you know, with some kind of dodgy wig? I think that visual stuff works. 
whether it's me and dodgy wigs or me adopting stupid accents. I can do one accent and it's the Liverpool accent. Everything else is just terrible. I'm, I have I have no future in acting. I'm fully aware of that stuff. Unless they're making a remake of Brookside, I have no future in acting, right? So those things land fairly well. Also as well, as I've just started releasing the animations, and I've started doing that as a safe-for-work element, whereas some of the criticism in the past of people, not criticism, some of the reticence of people using it internally as part of their awareness campaigns is, oh, we're not sure if it's safe for work. We're not sure if it if will offend people. Mm. So that's where the animations then come in. Because I take what I'm doing in video and put it in animated form and I'm still using the my caricature and maybe caricatures of the customers that I'm working with as well, that resonates fairly well. So so I think the things that I've done really well is me making an idiot of myself where I'm really uncomfortable and I'm totally outside of my comfort zone. Um, and I think sometimes that awkwardness comes through in the video. And then of late, the animated side of things, as you mentioned, the Scaminator, Ian Deanna Jones and Dr. Few as well. I've had to look at obviously some of the animated pieces and I think I, and I completely agree. There probably are some people that are like, okay, this is a really good option for us to get our message across, like the cybersecurity teams that are probably tasked with, right, you need to make sure everyone in the business knows these kind of password security pieces and what a phishing scam looks like, but how can we do it in a different way rather than just sending everyone like a fake email or a quiz to take, but they have to make sure that it is business appropriate I guess is kind of the term for it and just make sure that businesses are so widespread now you've got people from all over that would be engaging with this content so it's just about making it accessible to everyone really I guess. Yeah it's weird you know because attackers don't think that way right attackers don't Mm -hmm. really care whether they're being appropriate or inappropriate if they're right emotions and they're getting you to do what they want you to do i.e click on the links or enter your details or whatever it may be, then they're not really that fussed how they do it. So so I don't know why we get that fussy as a business. And I also think businesses have the equation the wrong way around, right? Businesses always paint the awareness as, here's something to protect us, the company you work for, because we don't want the business to fail. And I think that is upside down. I think what they should offer people is engage in informative uh, information that helps them in their life, in their home life, outside of the workplace. Because if they can get something that is engaging, if they can show it to family members or friends, and they can have a chat about that, you've ingrained the learning without making it mandatory, without forcing them to do it, without making them sit down in front of a terrible presentation and made them click, 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 click which is weird, you've got a presentation and awareness and you're making them click to get to the end of it um, before then yeah, giving them a quiz on what they've just seen, which they'll forget in in four weeks. So I think if we make it more engaging and fun for the person, it's going to say user there, I'm going to slap my own hand. There's two industries that uses user as a, uh, as a descriptor for the people that buy their wares, the software industry and the drugs industry. Right. So I think we should drop the user tag. I think we really should. Um, So we should think about people as colleagues, as staff, as employees, as people, because Mm. as soon as you start to humanize all of this, as soon as you start to give them what they want, you've got more chance of them without being asked, just naturally being a bit more cyber savvy 
and protecting your business, you know? Yeah, I think definitely the sharing point is really great. I actually showed my boyfriend one of your videos, um, the vanilla ice one, and <laughs> he he was laughing and then he probably went and rethought his password strategy. So, <laughs> yeah, and also like there is this big picture challenge with educating people on how to be cyber aware, cyber secure, cyber hygiene, all those kind of things. So if you're a business that can say, well, we do this for our employees in a fun, engaging way, and actually we're helping the big picture because we know they're probably talking about it with people outside the business. Yeah, it's definitely about treating people like people, not just someone that has to do a click, click, click task to then check a box. I think there is a lot of the human factor in it, which I think is sometimes challenging for an industry that is so technology kind of focused, or or people think it is anyway, to kind of then say, well, actually, we've got people that have no idea about this, then we need to engage them and keep them engaged and keep them updated as well. And if they think it's benefiting their private lives as well, because your email doesn't just stop with your work email, you're using Gmail, you're using all different things. So if you think it's helping your personal life as well, when you get a email from some unknown user and gmail asking you to send over details if you can think oh well actually that what thing at work said not to do that like i think that's beneficial and why people will remember it a lot more yeah and that's the whole goal i do this for my dad to be quite honest i do this for my brother i do this for my son my wife i do this for people who aren't technically savvy i do this for people who also forget that google can work for them as well so whenever when somebody will will uh, phone me up, a family member, a friend, say, is this a scam? I'm like, is Google broken today? Is So they'll, they'll use me as the easy option. I'll go, yeah, it sounds like a scam, rather than typing into Google, blah, blah, blah. So, so people want to take that easy shortcut. And I'm also doing it for the millions of us in the cyber industry who seem to be our family's tech support and our family's CISO as well. So if we can start getting these videos out there and start building a cyber community that answers their own questions and actually is a bit more resilient, because mm-hmm. you'll never you'll never eradicate it. You'll never eradicate it. It's it's built into us. We're human. We're sapiens who roamed the savannas of Africa and unfortunately had the curse of consciousness foisted on us seventy thousand years ago, approximately. You know, and ever since then we've been wondering. Are we wearing the right clothes? Do we have the right things? And all those bits and pieces, you know. So to do that and to grow that society and conquer the world, you have to trust. You have to help. You have to be engaging. You have to get on with your fellow person. So that's always inbuilt in us and we'll never eradicate that somebody else wanting to trick us or somebody else wanting to have an angle or somebody else wanting to steal the things that we've amassed. I'm sure there was, you know, I'm sure there was people who, who were stealing nuts and berries from people back in the day. So it's always been there. Yeah, I I was just thinking then as well, like from your experience, has the general awareness around cybercrime and cyber attacks grown over maybe the last decade or like since you're in like the, as you said, like the dot-com bubble, how do you think the general awareness has changed and, and what do you think has been a contributing factor to that? I don't think generally awareness has changed since then. For me, what I see is people telling other people the sky's falling in and they're telling them the sky's falling in so they buy their products, right? Buy this, that wouldn't have happened. I see it all the time. And, you know, and I saw it at the time when I was in 
working for a vendor. And I think it's a terrible way of operating, to be quite honest. I get people have to sell stuff and I get the shareholders and share price and capital. I get all of that. I'm not daft. Well, I kind of am daft, but I'm not daft in that way. The bit I don't get in our industry is that if you tell people the sky is falling in often enough, People are just going to become anaesthetised to it and not pay attention. And I think that's where we are. I think we're of an age where we tell people that they shouldn't do things, but we tell them in an almost hierarchical view, in a we know better than you do. Here's what you need to do. You need to follow this. And if you don't do it, we'll put you on the naughty step. You know, that that negative type of behaviour that's associated with security is part of what I want to banish, to be quite honest. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, go, into, you wouldn't go into your local pub and criticise somebody in there for, you'd end up getting a smack in the mouth for it, to be quite honest. So why do we think we can do it in our industry and get away with it? I just, and and then why do we then wonder why we're not invited to office parties at the end of the year? We're not invited because we're not really nice people to other nice people. You know, you've got to be kindness. Kindness is magic. Be a bit kinder to people. Be a bit more tolerant. Be a bit more patient. Give awareness more of a, a personality. Give security more than a personality. And we've got half a chance of helping the other people who are in our charge, not who we're in charge of. It's a subtle difference, but it's an important difference. Yeah, and I think one thing that makes me think of is something I was um, reading about recently was the effect of those phishing test emails on people. Um, And I think that's quite a good example where, okay, it's a tool that can be used to identify people that need extra training. But that person that, for whatever reason, they've accidentally clicked on that link, the feeling is, like, disastrous. And actually, in the past, I've not clicked on a link but I opened an email that I realized then wasn't from an actual colleague and even just doing that I panicked and I was I was talking to um, the people responsible being like I'm so sorry I opened it I shouldn't have opened it but that kind of testing it's got its place but it is like kind of reinforcing that negativity like oh because you now because you clicked on that link now you've got to do this extra bit of training rather than bringing positivity to the the awareness and training aspect of things yeah i'm i'm quite an outspoken critic of fishing simulations to be quite honest and i wonder why i never get invited to fishing simulation parties to be fair it's almost the spider-man paradigm right with great power comes great responsibility and the and the temptation to make those links so attractive to trick people into clicking them and then to tell them afterwards aha you've clicked that now you're getting more training it just erodes trust faster than anything. That kind of thing shows the rest of the organisation that you don't really care too much about them, that all you care about is putting a stat or a tick in a box on a compliance matrix that say, we've done that training that year. You know, uh, there's, loads of, there's loads of papers out there uh, that say uh, this type of training does not improve people, people's resilience to click and links. The, the, the links, they're there to be clicked. We're taught. We have a new generation. I'm 51. So there's a new generation of kids growing up that are only known clicking links, right? So so why do we think that we're going to eradicate it? I, I agree there's a, there's a place for it, right? If it's done properly and it's done responsibly and everybody's on board. The horror stories of it not being done like that. I've worked in organisations where it hasn't been done like that, even though they've said to their people have done it. In the back end, 
the management have been right we need to get these people more mandatory training i'm like that's not the point you've missed exactly what i've told you about what we should be doing with this it needs to be an inclusive thing here's the thing for you right when your parents described to you not to put your hand on the stove because it was hot did they take your finger as a four-year-old child and singe the top of your finger on, on the stove just to prove how hot it was and how painful it would be? No, they didn't. That's the same analogy of what fishing tests do. Mm. They're not fire alarms. I've heard people say, well, they're like fire alarms. No, they're not. They're not fire alarms. Fire alarms are a health and safety requirement that you need to do because it's ingrained in law that you need to help your people by understanding them how it's the fastest way out of a building to help them safely get out of there should there be a fire. Fishing isn't the same as that, right? Fishing does not make people more resilient to it. The only reason they're doing it is because in 27,001 or NIST or eight, whatever it is, whatever compliance scheme you're going against, there's a box that says, have you trained your people on the likely types of attack? And they want to put a tick in that, in that box. That's the only reason. Now, for all the fishing vendors out there, I know, I know you've got a lot of money and a lot of marketing dollars behind that. I fully understand that. But I think we should be doing, as vendors, as providers of this stuff, we should be doing a better job to the people who purchase it to turn around and lay some ground rules here about trust and about how we help the people that we're trying to educate to be in a better way. There should be no punitive outcomes of somebody clicking on a link, unless they've done it deliberately and you can prove they've done it deliberately, right? Mm. Yeah, I think I like the analogy of putting your finger on the... uh, the hob. I never did that, but I did stick a metal fork in a electrical outlet. Um, nice. So I, le- I learned my lesson. That was my link that I clicked. Um, but yeah, so we kind of like I've talked about what not to do, why not to do it. Some people are probably aware of this, but are finding it challenging to change. Um, like you said, because they're following certain compliance rules and um, they have to have these boxes checked. So what would your advice be then to someone that's thinking, I know we have training requirements for our staff, cybersecurity awareness requirements for our teams. I'd like to change what we're doing. What would you say is like the first step or something they could start exploring? Obviously, take a look at your videos and um, the content you're doing. But um what would you what would you suggest put people first put people first stop worrying about the compliance schemes and get amongst your people and see what see what excites them about learning this stuff you know if you're a david brent-esque CISO who thinks they're really talented and really funny and you're asking your people how talented and funny you are bear in mind that you're a senior leader and you're asking other people for their opinion, they're going to lie to you, right? They're going to tell you you're really funny and talented. Most of the time, most of the people I've come up against are not that talented and not that funny when it comes to engaging people in stuff. So get amongst your people, find out what makes them tick. Maybe use some of the surveys about what they don't like about it, what they do like about it and things like that. If surveys could turn people off, offer them town halls, Offer them anonymity via um, those online polls and things like that. There's loads of ways to do that. There's some great companies out there doing great work as well. 
my good friend, uh, Oz, I sound like a politician there. My good friend, mm. I'm, I'm the furthest thing away from being a politician. You did that. Uh, we're on video as well. And you did the hand, the politician hand movement as well. So just for our listeners to describe what I'm seeing, I did see a very... To me, right? As if he stood yeah. next to me. So Oz, Oz Alash and the guys over the um, CyberSafe are doing great stuff with behavioural. My other imaginary friend who I'm pointing who's on the other side of me, Simeon Quarry, of, of Vivida who are doing great stuff with uh, uh, augmentation and virtual reality and you know there's loads of these great companies who are putting people first rather than yeah I know they need to make money we all need to make money right but I think if you show that true empathy for what the end person is going through I think that gets recognized and I think more people come to the party then um, once they know that you've got their back and you're not there to trip them up as soon as they fear that you're there to trip them up the guards come up they shut down they will not listen and and i'd also say as well use a layered approach don't just you know don't just use my solution or Oz's or simians or any of those guys or any of the big players in there use a layered approach because people find different stuff engaging you know i i, I know i'm not everybody's cup of tea i'm all right with that you know, I, I I know I can divide the room with with my humour and things like that. That's okay. But actually, the millions of views I've got on LinkedIn, the the thousands of comments I've got, the thousands of likes I've got, I can remember on the fingers of one hand the ones who didn't like it, the ones who didn't get it. The you know, and and they're the moon barkers. You know, they're the people who doesn't matter what you do, they'll be offended at something. You know, so get amongst your people. See what makes them tick. Look at these good companies, uh, CyberSafe and Vida, who are doing some great work around the behavioural side of things and putting people first and looking at culture and looking at those things rather than what compliance boxes can we tick. They'll do all that stuff as well, right? But they do truly put people first. So so for those thinking that I'm here to do a sales presentation, I'm the world's worst salesperson, obviously, because I haven't mentioned my company once in that, right? I think I mentioned it in the introduction <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll have some information <laughs> on the in the in the uh, in the page um about who you are and who you represent. I think that point about everyone learns differently. I mean, that's something that you're taught when you're at school, like or or I was like going to school in like the early noughties and then finished finishing university in like 2010 ish um like that you're taught at school you learn in different ways and even now when I work I cannot despite being an editor if I'm writing a story it's easier for me to talk to someone I soak up that information so much quicker than if yeah. I just read stuff whereas Others that I've worked with before, they're more happy reading a lot of information, but everyone learns in different ways. So someone who watches a video might suck up that information amazingly, but then someone else might be actually I'm happier reading um, some inf some written um, text about what I should be doing and stuff like that. So definitely that uh, that's something like, yeah, like we're taught at school, like some people will learn by writing things out. Some people will learn by yeah doing an activity so um definitely thinking about that like not one size fits all it's a big challenge to undertake but there's definitely like steps as you said that you can take to kind of get that process going so just in the last five or so minutes of our discussion today i think we could have 
cracked open a number of things you mentioned, like using VR, we could have gone down that path and um, a lot of other um, kind of things that you touched upon. So unfortunately, we might have to park that and um, have a follow up chat or um, some other involvement in InfoSec magazine. But what I'd like to kind of talk about is any trends in the industry that you're really excited about. And then really, what's next for you? Is there anything that people listening should be looking out for or expecting you to come up with over the next like six to 12 months? Uh, so trends, I'm, I'm I'm slightly jaundiced a little bit with vendors, I'll be quite honest, because most of them offer market and gumph with not really much substance. Um, I think, you know, I, and anything, anything that puts the end consumer of the of the solution um, at its heart and really cares for it are the types of things that get me excited. It's why I mentioned Oz and Simeon. I think those guys do great work. Um, the, the other stuff around, you know, the zero trust and the password list and all those types of buzzwords, in my 30-year career, I've heard them come and go, right? You know, I was there when an analyst company said IDS is dead. So intrusion detection system. So the intrusion detection system market changed the D to a P and become the intrusion prevention systems. You know what kind of genius came up with that? I'm less of a kind of trend. I've always been less of a trend setter, uh, to be quite honest, but um, or trend follower. I like to work my own stuff out. Like I say, anything that has the U, I was going to say user, D, D and me, I'm, see, I still fall into it. Anything that has the end consumer or the person at its heart, and they really care about that, sign me up for that stuff, right? As for me, the next six to 12 months, I, I got back from the Fringe, at Edinburgh Fringe. So for those who don't know what it is, it's a, it's a music, theatre and comedy festival. So I got back from the Fringe a couple of weeks ago. And I went up just to get a taster of it. A friend of mine was was performing there all month, um, and and just venturing into stand up comedy now. I think it's given me the impetus to to do more of it. So so you hopefully you'll probably see me at some industry based gigs doing some uh, cyber based stand up where I will pull no punches around some of the some of the characters and some of the individuals I've come across in my thirty year career, and how how we do ourselves an injustice when we're talking to other people. Um, but also as well, just just normal comedy outside of that stuff. I've got gigs coming up in Bristol and London and and things like that. So, so I'm hoping to do more and more of that. And then next August at the Fringe, I'm hoping to do maybe a week or two weeks up there. I'm writing a show now, and I don't know whether to call it the Cyberman or the Cyber Idiot, to be quite honest. So it's one of the two. So I'm writing a 50-minute show where... Um, I talk about how we behave in the industry and how it affects other people, hopefully help with a little bit of awareness there because I offer a unique password generation system, which I put out on LinkedIn not so long ago and it got, it, it got a lot of traction, a lot of rave reviews as well. So, uh, and a bunch of other stuff as well. So no doubt the awareness and putting fingers on stoves to burn kids' hands, that, that, that'll come into play. Well, if you are heading to London, let me know. I'm London-based. I'd love to catch one of your shows and see for myself how cybersecurity lends itself to stand-up comedy. Um, But thank you so much for joining me on the Chats podcast today. It's been a great insight into 
kind of how you work and how you kind of see the industry developing the rights, the wrongs um, and next steps for those listening that think, oh, yeah, actually, that's kind of made me think we could improve or there's ideas there that I'd like to take away. Ian's very active on LinkedIn. So just do a quick search of his name and you'll you'll find all of his content and be able to reach out if you would like to have a chat further about some of the stuff he's talked about today. Um, But yeah, thank you so much. I hope our listeners enjoyed our conversation. I certainly did. Um, But I think that's it now. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Thanks, Beth. (laughs) Thanks, Ian. And finally, one last word from our sponsor, Toofin. If you're a CIO or CISO dreaming of a centralized network security management hub that can unify complex network environments, Toofin can help you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Into Security Chats. For more from the InfoSecurity team, make sure you head to our website to check out all the latest news, opinion, blogs, webinars and live events. And we look forward to you joining us again next month on the Chats podcast to hear from our future industry leading guests. Thank you.